Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Well, for any of you who may not know, um, our church has started partnering with Garrett Gay. Garrett's, uh, many many of you are his family here in this church. He um, is serving as a missionary with crew on Georgia Southern's campus, um, and he is um, serving there, doing a lot of discipleship, evangelism, different things that they do. He's going to share a lot about that. Um, we have um, financially partnered with him, wanted to have him here today to share with you what he's doing and also to preach. Um, and so he's going to come. I'm going to pray for him. He's going to come and share, and then he's going to preach, and then we will continue as normal from there. Um, and so um, let's let's pray together now. Father, I thank you for Garrett. I thank you for the call that you've put on his life um, to, to serve in this way. Lord, I pray that you will um, be with him now as he preaches. Lord, fill him with your spirit, and may we be um, lifted up by what you have put in his mouth, Lord. I pray for him as he labors at Georgia Southern, and may it be a fruitful year, and Lord, may you, um, may, may you make many disciples through his hands. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you got your Bibles this morning with you, if you'll turn, or start turning to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Um, but before we get there, um, I'd just like to thank you again for the opportunity to be with you all this morning. It's such a um, blessing to be here with you. Mount Zion's always had a special place in my heart. Um, Grandma grew up here. All of her, Most of her siblings are still here in this church. Um, many of special memories here at this church between family reunions and wedding showers and things of that nature. Um, it's kind of a sentimental day for me as well, as um, many of my family members are buried out here in the cemetery. Um, I think of them as well as I'm here. As Pastor Aaron mentioned, I am on staff with George Southern Crew. Um, Crew, many of you may know it as Campus Crusade for Christ. It started in 1951 by Bill and Vonette Bright um, at the University of California in Los Angeles. So what started as just a really, really just as a Bible study, honestly, has grown into something that the Lord has used to impact millions around the world. So now Crew is not just a ministry geared towards college students. That is what I do, but that's not our only focus as an organization. Um, we have many different facets under our, our umbrella. Um, we have ministries to families and middle school and high school students, ministry to even collegiate and professional athletes. Um, in our military as well. Um, Crew, I think it was, I think we're the second largest evangelistic association in the world. We have a missionary in every country except um, North Korea, China, and a couple other Middle Eastern nations. So like I said, what began as a Bible study has been used to reach the lives of millions. Our mission at Georgia Southern Crew is really just to love Christ, to love Christ and to raise up other lovers of Christ on our campus and around the world. We do this in several different ways. Um, I won't go into every single thing that we do, but just to give you a little brief overview. Um, we do on-campus evangelism. That's where we'll 
just you know walk up to students on campus or in the cafeteria or something like that and share the gospel with them through um, relational means. And we do discipleship. That's one-on-one or maybe two-on-one or something like that. Um, it really depends on uh, the needs of that person. We host weekly uh, community groups for students where we pray with one another, where we um, read the Bible together. We also host a, a weekly worship meeting every Tuesday night. Um, but Crew at Southern is not a church. Um, we don't even seek to call ourselves a church. We're, we're what is called an interdenominational parachurch ministry. So we work with the local church. We partner with local churches in the Statesboro area in reaching um, students for Christ. There is a lot of need for this on Georgia Southern's campus. Um, the student population continues to grow and grow and grow. I think as of this year, we have 27,000 students. Um, this year, Southern brought in almost 4,000 freshmen, which is one of the largest freshman classes in our school history. And many of these students, maybe they were like some of you, and maybe like me, grew up in church, um, but really didn't understand the gospel um, for themselves. Many do not know Jesus, or if they do, they decide to pursue the ways of the world. But our mission and our goal is to reach these students and build them up in their faith and train them to go out into the world to reach others for Christ. Um, again, I'm very thankful for the support of this church. I literally could not do my job without you all. Um, and it's such a blessing and an honor to partner with you. Um, and if anyone has questions about more specific things that I do or what we do as a ministry, um, feel free to speak to me after the service. I'll be, I'll be in the back there, um, and I'd love to talk with you. So if you got your Bibles, will you listen now to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13? It is the entire chapter, but don't worry, I'll, I'll try to get you out of here pretty quick. Um, listen now to the reading of God's Word. And David said, Is there still anyone left to the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness, pay attention to that word kindness, that's important, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of, of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him unto David. And the king said unto him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said unto the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, down at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came unto David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said unto him, Do not fear, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore unto you all the land of Saul your father. You will eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant? What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? 
Then the king called unto Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, All that belonged unto Saul and to all of his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said unto the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. And now he was lame in both of his feet. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, for this story of David and Mephibosheth. We thank you, Lord, that you even use narratives to instruct us in ways of righteousness. I pray, Lord, that um, your preached word would fall on soft and fertile ground. Lord, that you would be with me, that you would strengthen me by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that the words that I say would be pleasing and honoring unto you. I pray it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Now, to begin this message, I think it's necessary to clarify one term that's not even found in this passage, and that word is a covenant. Um, all throughout Scripture, you find that God makes covenants with his people, and men make covenants with others. And a covenant is this. A covenant is a binding promise between God and man. You see, God is the one who establishes covenants. And they're often followed with blessings if man upholds his end of the covenant and curses if not. Um, you can look in Deuteronomy chapter 28, um, verses 1 through 14, for some examples of covenant blessings. And in the same chapter, verses 15 through 68, for examples of covenant curses. All throughout redemptive history, God has established um, several different covenants with his people. There's the Adamic covenant that he established with Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, there's the Noahic covenant. There's the Mosaic covenant. And probably one of the most important is what's known as the Davidic covenant, which is found just two chapters before our text today. Um, for a better understanding of covenants, I, I, I would recommend the book Covenants Made Simple by Jonty Rhodes. That's J-O-N-T-Y Rhodes. Um, like I said, this, this word covenant isn't even found in this passage. Um, to be honest with you, this, this passage really isn't necessarily about covenants. The, the hidden meaning of this passage isn't about covenants. Um, it's simply about the love that God has for his people, the love that David and Jonathan had for one another, the love that David had for Saul's house. This passage is simply a narrative of David upholding his end of the covenant that he made with Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 18 clearly explains that David and Jonathan had a deep love for one another. Verse 3 of 1 Samuel 18 says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. 
And I think this is striking. Because if you remember the relationship between David and Saul, it, it was kind of toxic. It wasn't really always one that you would call fulfilling. You see, Saul had tried to take David's life many, many times. But David's friend, Saul's son, Jonathan, knew of his father's distaste for his friend David. Jonathan warned David many times of Saul's attempts to take David's life. Um, 1 Samuel 20 is one passage of importance. Like I said, this, this story is not all about covenants, though. Yes, covenants are vital to this passage. Yes, covenants are extremely important to understanding this text. But this, this story shows forth the love, the hesed that God shows towards us. Now, you're saying, Garrett, why are you talking Hebrew in church? That, that word hesed translates to loving kindness. It's mentioned three times throughout this text. In verse 1, verse 3, and verse 7. Going back to verse 1. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness or hesed? For Jonathan's sake. Verse 3. Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness, the hesed of God to him? Verse 7. Do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. This love, this hesed, is rooted in the character of God. And it's only one who has experienced the love of God can show forth this kind of love. This love is a covenant-keeping love. This love is a steadfast and a loyal love. Now, you can look at this passage in two different ways. You can look at it from a man-centered approach, which I'll be doing a little bit, or you can look at it from a theocentric approach, a God-centered approach. And um, I'll be doing both throughout the course of this message. Now, the first time we see Mephibosheth mentioned in the Bible is just you know, three chapters before in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Um, I'll be reading that to you. 2 Samuel 4, starting in verse 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame or crippled. And his name was Mephibosheth. So these two texts... Chapter 4 and chapter 9 tell us that Mephibosheth was crippled in his feet. This is quite important. You see, Mephibosheth's physical injury was due to a war breaking out within the kingdom. 2 Samuel 4 says that when the nurse, when Mephibosheth's nurse heard of the potential war, she fled with Mephibosheth. And in the process of fleeing, she dropped him. And that's, that's how he became crippled. And this seems to be of just a minor mention, but... Um, it is quite important. For you see, in ancient times, when one kingdom would conquer another, when one king would overthrow another, the family of the king who was being conquered would typically be put to death to destroy any potential to rise up and overthrow them. So Mephibosheth should have been dead by this point. But in God's good kindness and God's providence, Mephibosheth was able to escape. But in righteous fear... He hid for a number of years, and commentators don't say about how long it was. Um, it was long enough for him to have a son, um, 
but we're not sure the exact number of years. But we know that he hid for a number of years, afraid that David may, may kill him. So knowing why Mephibosheth was in hiding is quite important to this story. It gives great reasoning of why he was so afraid when David's army located him and brought him into David's throne room. I mean, can you imagine the fear after, say, 15, 20 years of hiding? I don't, like I said, we don't know exactly how long he was hiding. But after a number of years of hiding, he had finally been found. You know, David's army had come knocking at his door, and the first instinct that he had was, Oh no, I'm about to be killed. Of course, his natural instinct would be fear. Of course, his natural instinct or his natural thought would be, David's about to kill me. But Mephibosheth had no reason to be afraid, for David was going to do the unexpected. I mean, could you imagine the relief that Mephibosheth had felt when David said, I'm going to show you kindness? For David had remembered the covenant he made with Jonathan, his friend, that he would always show favor to the house of Saul, that he would always show favor to Jonathan's family. One commentator says that this was probably one of the very first actions that David took as the new king of Israel. You see, no one advised him to do this. No one said, hey David, remember that covenant you made long ago? No one told him about it. He just simply remembered this covenant that he had made with David. No one advised him to do this. It was simply the love and the kindness towards Jonathan's house that motivated him to show this love to Mephibosheth. One commentator named Charles Drew puts it like this. He says, David is like this because David's God is like this. So just a couple questions for you. Are you motivated to love others? Do you go out of your way to show kindness towards another? Do you love those who are weak? Do you love those who are oppressed? Do you love those who are crippled? Do you love those who may even be your enemy? Those who may even hate you? For you see, a love for someone like this. This is an example of Hesed. This is an example of God's love. Jesus says that we are to love the Lord our God first. And then, the second greatest commandment, we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Yes, your neighbor is your next door neighbor, but it's also that co-worker who aggravates the living mess out of you. It's that, that friend who pesters you. It's that, that son or that daughter that's estranged from you. It's a family member who may cause issues. And I, I know that myself, I am far from perfect. When it comes to this. I know that I find myself struggling. To love those. And show mercy to those who aggravate. Or pester me. It makes it hard for me to show them. The, the loving kindness. The hesed. That I myself have experienced. You see. Friends. God's, God's love and mercy. Has no boundary. So why does ours? Why do we place limits on our love? For others when God doesn't place limits on his love for us. The reformer John Calvin says this. This action by David is worthy of being praised as a great virtue. That he remembered the house of Saul. 
shows that he had forgotten all source of vengeance. And is this not how our Heavenly Father loves us? Is this not how our God loves you and loves me? He makes a covenant with his people and he always fulfills it. We in our sin, we fail to uphold our end of the covenant. And we deserve every single curse that comes along with breaking covenant with God. Every single curse. And you can, you can go to Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 through 68 and read all of those covenant curses that you and I deserve. One of my favorite phrases in all of scripture is, But God... So God, being rich in mercy, rich in hesed, shows his love to you and he shows his love to me in this way. By sending his son to die for you. So don't even think, don't even imagine for one moment that God does not love you. But David doesn't just spare Mephibosheth's life. We'll look back at the text. David said unto him, I'm reading in verse 7. David said unto him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will give to you, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you will eat at my table always. So David doesn't just spare Mephibosheth's life. This text tells us that all that belonged to Saul was given to Mephibosheth, was restored to Mephibosheth. Don't don't miss this. Don't, Don't miss this moment in this text. You see, everything of this culture, everything of this culture, called for Mephibosheth's neck. Mephibosheth's head should have been laying in the streets. He was meant to be David's enemy. But David does not just give him back everything that belonged to his fathers. David gives Mephibosheth a place at his table. And this, isn't, this doesn't just provide safety. This welcomes Mephibosheth into David's household. It welcomes him permanently into David's household. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that God's love for you and God's love for me is like this. Yes, God cares about your physical needs. That's why we pray for physical needs. But God doesn't just care about physical needs. He cares about spiritual well-being. He welcomes all who call upon His name into the house where they can have a seat at the table forevermore. What makes this even greater is that Mephibosheth was only a potential enemy of David. But we are proven enemies of God. David was a potential enemy. But we are proven enemies. So we deserve death. We deserve to be exiled. We deserve to be shown the worst treatment. Because we've offended such a holy God. But God. Rich and said, Welcomes us into his house. And he gives his children a seat at the table. He, see, you see, God doesn't just care about your physical health, but He cares about your spiritual longevity. And it's important to see that David's love for Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was an initiative-taking love. 
See, Mephibosheth was surely not the one seeking David out. I mean, could you imagine Mephibosheth walking up to David's house and saying, David, let me in. David, let me in. This, you know, you conquered my father's kingdom, so I deserve to be sitting where you're at. No. That would be silly. I mean, that's a, that's a death wish if Mephibosheth had done that. Could you imagine a descendant of the previous king walking into the palace saying, Here I am, David. Come and get me. Like I said, Mephibosheth was a potential enemy of David. But we in our sin are potential or definite enemies of God. So God is the one who takes the initiative to love us. God is the one who loved us before we loved him. I think you can look in uh, 1 John 4.19. He loved us, or we love because he first loved us. Even when God made us in his image, that's an example of the love he has for us. And is it not amazing that even in our sin, even in our utter and total depravity, that God would love someone like you, and God would love someone like me, like, like the psalmist says, Who am I, O God, that you are mindful of me? Throughout the last few moments, I've hinted at several different parallels between David's kindness toward Mephibosheth and God's kindness towards dead dogs like us. You see, God's not the one who's in hiding. We are. We are the ones who are hiding away in a spiritual loaded bar, hoping that God doesn't pour out His wrath on us. God is the one who desires to show mercy, to show us kindness, to show Hesed type of love. We are the ones like Mephibosheth who are crippled. No, maybe, maybe we don't have a physical injury like Mephibosheth, but we are certainly spiritually crippled. We are the ones who, before the Lord calling us unto himself, are waiting for our utter demise. We are the ones who are hiding from God in utter fear and, and utter dread. We are the ones who, when called into God's presence, should fall on our faces and cry out, Oh God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. We are the ones who should be surprised, should be surprised when God chooses to show us kindness and mercy instead of just striking us dead. But we are also the ones who God invites to dwell with Him forever. We are the ones who God restores. We are the ones who he bids to come to the table. We are the ones who, when seated at the table, are safe and secure. More, more safe and secure are you in God's love than anywhere else in the world. Is this not even an even more beautiful story to you now? Does this, does this story not move your heart to worship God, to surrender your life to him? maybe so what ought we to do now should we remain in hiding 
when God seeks to show us mercy? No. Definitely not. When God chooses to show us mercy, when God seeks to show us kindness, when God calls us into his presence, we ought to fall on our faces and like Mephibosheth, cry out, have mercy on a dead dog sinner like me. We too ought to have confidence in knowing that God hears the prayers of those who call on his name. We ought to know that God loves to show mercy. God loves to show grace. God is the one who invites us to his table. We ought to know that nothing can take away our seat at the table. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We ought to see the mercy of God, the hesed of God, this ultimate display of God's loving kindness displayed in his Son, Jesus at the cross. As I close this morning, I told you I was getting you out of here quick. Um, as I close this morning, I must ask you, are you like Mephibosheth and are you in hiding? Maybe you're hiding from God because you've broken covenant. Maybe a covenant with God or maybe a marriage covenant or maybe a promise you've made with a friend or a, or a family member. Maybe you're hiding from God this morning because you don't think He can show mercy to someone like you. You don't think that you know, God would love you. Well, good news. None of us deserve it. None of us are worthy of love. So you're not alone in that cause. Take confidence in this. There is no sin that God does not have the capacity to forgive. Even when we break covenant with him, he still seeks to show us mercy. Maybe you're a Christian this morning, but you see that you're still so crippled by your sin. You're, you're limping around like Mephibosheth in your spiritual life. Sometimes I'm like that. Sometimes you're like that. But you can call upon Jesus. He will give you rest. One of my favorite books that I've read in the last um, year and a half is Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. That, that whole book is saying or describing Jesus' character, Jesus' love. Jesus says that I'm gentle and lowly in heart. So come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you do feel hopeless this morning, if you're still limping around, if you're still hobbling around on one spiritual foot, know that one day we're going to live in a new Jerusalem. We'll eat at the king's table. We're no longer going to be crippled by our sin. You see, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. And we're going to live in Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem. But we're not going to be like Mephibosheth and be crippled. You know, maybe you do have a physical injury. One day you won't have that malady anymore. But maybe you're so crippled by your sin. Take confidence in knowing this, that one day you'll never sin again. This has been the preaching of the Word of God.
for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you do love spiritual cripples like me. That you love spiritual cripples like all of us. That even despite our sin, that you seek to show us hesed. You seek to show us mercy. You seek to show us grace. I thank you, Lord, for the hope that one day we will no longer sin. We will no longer hobble around on our spiritual feet. But all will be made well. We'll be with you forever and evermore. In Jesus' name, amen.